0: Here this morning, a few of us here, and it's always an opportunity that we can take advantage of in worship, whether it's um, here with a few, uh, home with a lot, or up on the mountainside by yourself. It's always a blessing to have this day to be able to worship, and I hope you never pass this by, uh, whether we're facing something that uh, we've never faced in our lifetime. Uh, before and I pray that those of you that are live streaming or those that may hear this later uh, that you're still continuing to worship uh, because he's called us to worship and give us that opportunity. You have your copy of God's word, uh, you have those hymns where you can either get them online or you remember them, you can sing those hymns and you can pray along with you or your family and uh, you can have a great time of worship. Also, uh, opportunity for prayer. Thank you, Brother Forrest, for that prayer this morning really spoke to my heart. So let's pray again this morning as we uh, begin this time together. Father God, we count it a privilege to be in your presence, whether that be here in the four walls of this building, the four walls of our homes, or wherever we might find ourselves in front of a screen this morning, or uh, Lord, wherever our position might be, Lord, we take this opportunity, Lord, to lift you up. You are worth our worship. So, Father, I pray that all we do today, Lord, even in my heart has been lifted by the singing this morning. It's uh, I've found over the years it's impossible for me to sit in a pew when others are singing. Even if I don't half know the song, uh, my spirit is lifted and I will... Sing out with whoever's singing, Uh, Lord, because uh, that which lies within me has to celebrate who you are and our relationship and being able to join with brothers and sisters in Christ, whether it be in person or remotely like we've had to do since March. Lord, we pray right now with all seriousness, all that's taking place in the world, Lord, I know that uh, as someone said we just had such a blah week, and Lord, it seems like we've had such blah months, but Lord, help us to see the bright, shining star, which is Jesus, his hope that we'll be speaking about this morning, his love, his care, his comfort, his keeping of us each and every day. Lord, until we do not walk by faith anymore, but we literally walk by sight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Some years ago, in um, the early 1800s, there was a young teenager by the name of Edward Mote. Now, Edward kind of did um, what a lot did during that time, is young kids would gather together on Sunday morning if their parents were working or whatever, and they would roam the streets of a big city. Well, London was the city in which Edward Mote grew up in, and his parents, uh, they took care or actually owned the local tavern or pub or whatever you want to call it. And so he was kind of somewhat, I guess, neglected by his parents as they were busy at work, and and uh, he would just roam the streets. He later said that uh, his Sundays were devoid of any type of religious activity. In fact, he later admitted in his own words that he was ignorant of such any type of religious activity. In fact, he didn't even really recognize that there was a God in charge of anything. But by his late teenage years, he did the same thing I did, I guess. And he began to ponder some of those things as he began to see the world for what it really was. It's a scary place. There's a lot of unknowns in the world. In his late teen years, he began attending a local church, uh, pastored by John Hyatt, and he began to contemplate those things of, of life and the, uh, insecurities, I guess, that we all get. And, you know, as someone had said one time, this doting stuff is really scary. And it really is, and it was to young Edward. And at the age of 18, he, went forward and talked with a pastor and discovered that Jesus Christ could take away all the fears of life and give him a peace of heart, a peace of mind, something that he and probably most of us have long desired. He had quickly moved uh, from being an apprentice uh, carpenter to owning his own little small cabinet shop. And one day as he was pondering his newfound faith and and walking to work and I'm sure just kind of whistling along he probably come to his mind you know I would like to maybe write a hymn you know if you're full of Jesus and Jesus gets in there you can't keep it in whether it's singing or shouting or reading or telling or sharing or whatever it's going to spill out on somebody and young Edward was making his way to work that morning and I'm just guessing it was probably a Monday morning, and and he was still just full of Jesus from Sunday, and, and he pondered, I'm going to write a hymn, and by the time he had reached his workplace, he had already pinned out the chorus. By the end of the day, he had added four more verses to that hymn that he wrote. Later the next week, after taking that hymn, and he had scribbled it down and folding it up, putting it in his pocket somewhere, probably carrying it around, and the next Sunday he went to a friend who some had said was a pastor, some said it was just a friend, but nevertheless, the, the man and his wife that lived there, his wife was on her deathbed. He came in just to visit with that, with that man and his wife, and as they had read scripture together and, and um, as the husband desired to sing a song of hope, you know, we all need hope. You ever thought about that? I've met so many people in the world. I remember uh, hearing a missionary in uh, my early, uh, I guess, uh, faith years. And he said he'd gone to China. And one thing that he saw in the people's faces as they passed by him, one after another, was there is no hope. There is no hope. So here this man for his his dying wife wanted to sing a hymn of hope, but yet the words of the hymn evidently eluded him. And so young Edward reached into his pocket and pulled out that little scribbled piece of paper with that song, and he began to sing that uh, classic hymn, The Immutable Basis for a Sinner's Hope. Y'all heard that one, sang it regularly probably. I'm glad that he sang that song, and it turned out to be a great song of hope. In fact, it was so inspiring to him, he went out and had a thousand copies made of that hymn and gave it to his friends because... He, like in Hebrews, he wanted to share, or in Peter, he wanted to share the hope that lies within him. You know, if we have hope, we want to share it. But I'm thankful that William Bradbury, some years later, I guess if you want to call it a uh, toe-tapping tune that he put with it, and he said, I guess, just guessing on what William did, he said, that title will never go over. So he said, let's just call it The Solid Rock. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name, on Christ. The solid rock I stand, no other ground, all other ground, rather, is sinking sand. And that's absolutely the truth. What a great hymn young Edward did. He had found his hope in Jesus' and all the insecurities of the future. You know, we kind of go back to that old hymn, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who's got a hold of tomorrow. And he did. So many look for their hope this morning in so many things. I know we recently had the election, and so many are looking at their hope in an election. And We all had our hopes and dreams and thoughts and whatever, but, you know, that's not where my hope's at. It's not in a government. It's not in how much of a a financial security I find myself in or lack of. That's not where my hope is. My hope is in Jesus. If you have your copy of God's Word this morning, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12, if you would. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Verse 1 and 2, since my oldest son, or my oldest uh, child, a son, uh, this is his two favorite scriptures that he always read when he was young and he loved these scriptures let's read it together Hebrews chapter 12 in verse 1 it says therefore since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us let us run with endurance the race that lies before us keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. Catch this. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, if you still have a copy of God's word in your hand, turn over to Colossians chapter 2 in verse 13. Colossians chapter 2 in verse 13. And one of Paul's prison epistles as he was there and penned these words. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of death with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphant or triumphed over them in him. Wow, where's your hope this morning? I began to ponder that question many times, and I remember when I penned this message and years ago and looking down and I thought these very words Where is your hope, Wayne? Because we all need some sort of hope. But we all need to identify the hope that lies within us. And I discovered this. My hope for the future is a cross in my past. It's amazing that the cross would bring hope. Now I want to talk to you a little bit what the cross brings this morning. In the next few minutes in which we have. The cross itself... I guess being in what we would see as an implement of death. But it brings so much life because it puts to death so many things that is unneeded in our lives or that is necessary in our lives. But it brings about something, actually several things. Here, look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him. The cross gives me life. You know what? The number one thing, I think if we could do a survey of all dead folks, now, yes, it's impossible, but but just, just imagine, just stay with me a moment, if we could do a survey of all the dead and ask them just one question, Said, what do you need? What do you think the overwhelming, I don't know, you know, there's always those polls for yes or no and undecided or I don't know. I I believe that they would all have an answer for this. What do you need as a dead person? What do you need? A cup of water? Do you need something to eat? Do you need a friend? I think, without a doubt, most of those that could answer that would say, I need life. What else does a dead person really need? They need and desire life. The cross gives me life. Now, to the unbeliever, it's a snare, the Bible says. It's a stumbling block. They don't get it. They don't understand it. The cross is an offense to a work salvation. It's this implement of death, but what what does getting life mean to you? What does answering and getting that life to the human mind, the cross brings only death, but guess what? I glory in the cross. You know something, how many times have you ever heard this? I heard it from the kids, I don't know if we ever said it or not, get a life. You ever heard of that? You know, just get a life. I want to tell you, I tried everything in my few years of life to try to get a life. I substituted a lot of things that I thought would bring me life. See, so many th- people think money will bring you life. Things will bring you life. Relationships will bring you life. That'll give you life. My life at that point was empty, and I tried to fill it with all the things of the world. But guess what? Jesus gave me life. Not only life, but he gave me abundant life. Before that, I was a wasted life. Or some folks say you have a limited life. I didn't know life till I found Jesus. I really didn't. I thought I did, but I didn't. The cross gives me life. It's amazing. Until the cross, we couldn't have really life. The cross also gives me something that I so, I so need, and that's forgiveness. Finish up that verse thirteen, and forgave all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt. Boy, how many has that have ever had a certificate of debt? I don't know of many people that hadn't had one at one time or another. You've sat at a bank, you've sat at a car lot, you've sat somewhere, and you've signed a certificate of debt saying, I will pay you for this thing that I am receiving. Well, you know what? When you were born, you received a debt of sin. A debt of sin, we had that. But he said he erased the certificate of debt with its obligations, That was against us and opposed to us, and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, literally a certificate of debt, where each party knows the debt and the price must be paid. When someone paid with their life on the cross, their crime, remember this from Scripture? Their crime was nailed there with them. The crime they had committed, what put them on the cross? They could have put thief. They could have put whatever. He was this or she was that. I remember my grandfather working in a, he owned a little country store. And I don't, I don't say this was right or wrong. I'm not saying, I'm just telling you what happened. But um, he had a little country store and when people refused to, pay him the debt in which he owed which they owed he would go to them and try to receive that debt he'd tell them why and when they pretty much knew that the debt they both had agreed on the debt but they had somehow not paid it so my grandfather being the man that he was up on his little counter there at the front he'd take a piece a big piece of construction or I guess yeah construction paper or whatever it's called and and he would tape it to the front of the counter And he'd write their name in red and how much they owed. Well, you could come back in a few days and see those things marked through. They knew they owed the debt. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but that's exactly what happened to us. In our debt of sin, it was written out and everybody knows it. Because the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, whether you acknowledge it or not, whether you see it or not. You have a sin debt, and it's given to you as a certificate of debt, and it's going to be placed by you, and you're going to have to pay it. But I discovered that Jesus would pay it for me. And the Bible says, when he went to it, it was nailed to the cross. I have forgiveness because of what Jesus did on the cross. He took my sin debt and placed it on the cross. How many want to be forgiven? I don't know many people that really don't want to be forgiven. But the cross brought that to me. The Bible also says that God reconciled them both, Jew and Gentile, into one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 16, the cross gives me unity. The world, we notice, provides division oh it's so evident in our society today it doesn't some people they say are born again and some people are absolutely born against doesn't matter what it is I'm against it I'm against it you, you just see somebody it doesn't matter what it is we're going to have free ice cream after church on Sunday as much as you want I'm against it some people are just against it. But I want to tell you what the cross does. It provides unity. As believers, hear this. We don't have to be estranged from other believers. It's a choice. True believers are in one body in Christ. We're to, the Bible tells us we're to seek peace with all men. We're supposed to be and have the opportunity to be unified. Have you ever heard this phrase? The ground is level at the foot of the cross. You ever heard that? Because it absolutely is. It brings us all in the same level. I don't care how old you are how young you are. How tall you are how short you are. How wide you are or how thin you are. It doesn't matter what the color of your skin. Your cultural upbringing. It doesn't matter any of those things. Because it's, it's level there at the cross. We can all find unity at the cross. I've had the opportunity to travel over the years and go to places and meet people that I couldn't speak their language, didn't know anything about their culture, and yet we could join together when we first saw each other understanding we were both brothers or brother and sister in Christ. We could embrace one another, go into a service, sing songs together because we knew that Jesus is the one that brought us together. No matter what it divided us, Jesus provides the unity in the cross. Man, the cross is awesome. The cross also gives me victory. Well, we can sing victory in Jesus, can't we? I love victory in Jesus. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15 says, He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and disgraced them publicly. He wanted everybody to know. He triumphed over them in Him. Well, can you see the, I mean, have you ever seen the, the. Uh, I guess World War II was one of the first places they were able to show video of a of, uh, triumphant military marching down streets, showing the victory back in this time. It was really what they would do is walk them through a uh, march the enemy and the triumphant army through the streets of Rome because they were victorious Really letting everybody know that you can be victorious. And if you're a Roman, you're victorious. Oh, it's happened so many times. I just did something one time when we were, we were in the walking down the Champs-Élysées and, and uh, walking uh, under the Ark of the Triumph. And, and as I was walking through, I can imagine all the military. Some of you may have seen the video of Hitler actually walking with his armies there, but it wasn't many years before Charles de Gaulle and the French army were marching down and they truly had long-term victory. As they marched through, you know something? We're going to have that same march as believers one day. We might be fighting the battles now. Hey, it's kind of unusual the way we live today. We're fighting battles, but I want to tell you the war is already won. It's usually the other way around. Oh, we've, we've won this battle, we won that battle, but we don't know who's going to win the war. Well, I want to tell you, I looked at the book of the Revelation and it says we win. <laughs> that's great to know, isn't it? We can fight all we want to, we can battle all we want to, but we know we are already victorious. How are we victorious? In ourselves? No. I'm a wimp when it comes to it. We understand that we fight battles that's not of flesh and blood. We're outmatched. I've only been fighting this battle as a Christian since I was 18 years of age. I don't have that many years since I'm, what, 28, 29 now, us? So I don't have that many years in fighting. I want to tell you, Satan himself, has got, he's got a lot of years under his belt. He's got a lot of lures. I'm no match for him and the demons of hell. I am absolutely no match. But in Jesus' I'm victorious. Why do you think he fought the cross so much? I've always thought like this, kind of putting in my own words. You know, the devil said, get him to the cross, get him to the cross, get him to the cross. Let's put him on the cross. Everybody can see him publicly. Let's crucify that Jesus. And then they crucified Jesus. And in just a little bit, when Jesus said he's finished, the devil said, "Uh uh-oh, it's too late now. He's already victorious. We've already won in Jesus. We're going to still have to, to fight those battles, but we've already won. Jesus, when he was put away for those three days, they said, oh, it's over for him. One, two, three, he's out. No, you don't know Jesus like I know Jesus. He already announced. He just taking that time of the three days and say, look, I'm going to take these three days and y'all are going to think I'm out. Three strikes, I'm out. But no, death, hell, the grave, sin, you've all lost. In the cross of Jesus, I am victorious. That's where my hope is in victory, not in myself. Not in myself. We can truly have victory in Jesus. also says something else in Hebrews 12, too. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. The author and the finisher of my faith. The cross gives me something that, you know, uh, Pastor uh, Mike said a few weeks ago, he ran a race. He still not told me who was chasing him. Because I'm not running unless somebody's really big that's running after me, or I'm having to, no, I'm still not running. I just give up. But I want to tell you something that I don't have today that I might have had at one time, and that's endurance. So many of the things of life, how many times have you ever quit? Oh, you might not have, you know, verbally, you might have said it, but you didn't really mean it. You said it in the quietness of your own home, or you said it to that person in relationship with that spouse or whatever you, you told him. I just quit. I know uh, Pastor Johnny Honey told me one time, we were at Timothy Barnabas Conference, and he said, guys, if you quit on a Monday, I'm coming to look for you. Because sometimes as a pastor, sometimes as a Sunday school teacher, sometimes as a husband, sometimes as a wife, sometimes as a sibling, sometimes as a child, you want to give it up and say, I quit. I want to tell you, life will beat you down. you want to quit. you want to give up. But endurance can come when we keep our eyes on Jesus. I like this. For some of my uh, English teachers, I did learn a few things in school. And and I did learn, and I'm um, now helping Taven some. Miss um, Hickman, if you're listening, or Miss Jolly, if you don't. If Tabin gets anything wrong, it's on me. But we're looking and diagramming sentences. And the scripture says, He that began a good work in us will complete it. Now let's go back to that pronoun, He. Let's get that one figured out first. He, who is it talking about? He's talking about Jesus. God in the flesh, Jesus is that pronoun, He. So God began a good work. In us, and here's the verb, this is the action word, will. Jesus will. It's not possibly will. The way that word's written here in a verb, I mean, it even gives an adverb here. It said, will complete it. Complete. What does that mean? Finish. That's, hey, I can tell you how to say it in the southern so we'll all understand. Get her done. And he did. He did. He got it done. He began. He that began a good work in us will complete it. What was he talking about? It go back a little bit, and he's talking about salvation. What he started in us, he will complete it. Whew. That's good to know. I'm sure some of you and I and I saw where David had run a race. He'd run. I'm not sure about you guys running marathons, but anyway, God bless you. If you can run, go at it. But you running. I'm thinking about the first five miles. Man, I'm okay. I'm doing okay about seven, eight miles according to how long you run. You're thinking, what in the world am I doing? But you know what? Sometimes I've been on this walk as a believer and I've said the same thing. What am I doing? I've been serving Jesus. I've been trying my best. I know I fail him every day, but I'm tired. You ever been there? I'm tired. Even my hope's worn out. But I again began to think about it and thinking about it even this week, and Pastor Bob called me, I don't remember Thursday or Friday, whatever it was, and asked me about filling in today, and I was thinking about that hope. How can I tell him about hope? Because I'm tired. You get beat up in life. But you know, one thing I discovered as I read that, go back to that pronoun. He that began a good work in us will complete it. How about that? Looking unto Jesus, the author, he began and it also says that he's the finisher. We might have started something together, but I've wanted to quit so many times and give up. I'm tired. Can't hardly breathe. I just said, God, I don't know. And guess what he does? He picks you up and said, we ain't over yet. Because I promised I would take you to the finish line. I'll get you all the way there. The cross gives me endurance. When I see the cross, I know that it ain't over yet. John 19 30 Jesus recorded words from the cross. It is finished. Redemption had been completed. I like this. We like to sometimes. I remember when I was taking Greek. Don't ask me anything about Greek. I was there every Friday morning at 8 o'clock to take that. But I can barely remember to say the word Greek. That's the reason they make such good books that I can use now. But they tell me as I was looking and studying, you know, when it when it talks about having a, a certificate of, of debt, as it were. You owed something. It actually, Jesus said it in one word and took care of it. We understand it to be, it is finished. That's good. It's finished. You know, it's always wonderful when we have a great task before us and we can finish it. We shout, we, I mean, I've known church, we've had it before. And when I was pastoring, you'd pay off a debt and you'd burn that note and we'd celebrate because it is finished. It's literally paid in full. In Greek, it has one word, tetelestai. Just think about that word, tetelestai. Back then, when you paid off a certificate of debt, they've stamped it in red. Now, don't get ahead of me. That's exactly what Jesus did. You owed a debt that you couldn't pay. Jesus said, I don't owe this debt, but I love you. I died for you on the cross. I'm going to pay that debt for you. And just so you'll know it's paid in full, so the devil won't get no misunderstanding, I'm going to stamp this debt, this, this debt right here. I'm going to stamp it in my own blood of red. His blood don't come out. It's going gonna, it's gonna to tarry there. The devil will try all he wants to with all the magic erasers he wants to, but he can't take out that blood. It ain't ever coming out. It's there. It seems that 2020 has challenged us in our hope. It challenged my hope. I'll just be honest with you. It's challenged my hope this year. G.K. Chesterfield said hope means hoping. When everything else seems hopeless. Think about it. Hope is something you have when everything else is hopeless. But how does your, how does your hope really get challenged? How, how does your hope get challenged? I like what Martin Luther King had said. He said, you know, I shared this with Madeline Jackson this week we were talking in. He says, you can't see the stars until it gets dark. Think about it a minute. You can't see the stars until it gets dark. I want to tell you, in life, that's when your hope is challenged. Not when everything's as bright as day. Not when everything is going wonderful. I've been there, praise God, I love that time. But I really don't know what my hope is built on until it gets dark. Until all the lights have gone out. And then I can see the star of Jesus. So I sit back and look at the cross. The hope of my future, folks, is not in myself. Oh, man, that's, that's so far gone. The hope of my future is not in myself. The hope of my future is not the outcome of an election. The hope of my future is not in a government where it rises or whether it falls. The hope of my future is not even in my family. The hope of my future is not in a church. The hope of my future is a cross in my past. Because there is where I found ultimate, overcoming, enduring victory. Where's your hope this morning? Where's your hope? Those of you watching live stream this morning, just ask you the question, where is your hope? That's a simple question. Where is your hope? Let's pray. Father God, we all are commanded to be prepared to share a hope or the hope that lies within us. That's the command of all believers Peter said that's that's to all believers, but sometimes I forget where my hope's at, and I act like it. Father, speak to all that hear these words this morning. Your words, Lord, your preparation for us to be ready, to be prepared to share a hope that lies within us, because the world is looking for some hope, and they have false hope this morning living a dead living in a dead hope this morning something that's going to fail it's not going to last through and through Lord I pray you lift my hope up this morning I pray like Edward Mote you just so instill in our hearts that our hope is on that solid rock on that solid rock there's nothing less The Jesus' blood at the cross and His righteousness that He's wrapped us in. He's covered us in. When God the Father looks down on us, He doesn't see us. He sees us covered in Jesus and what He did at the cross. Father, speak to our hearts. Convince us this morning. Remind us tomorrow. Encourage us to. Father, we thank you that we've had, again, this opportunity to open your word. Not my words, Lord. I pray that I've been hidden behind your word today. That as we've opened your word, we can close the book and we can go home. And it's not left back here at First Baptist Church. But the word of God will continue on and on. And I can open it up at home in the morning when I'm feeling that I've lost my hope and read it for myself. I may close the book and next Thursday when I feel like I'm ready to quit and give up I'm really struggling with endurance my victory seems to be gone I can open it up there it is again It's my hope my hope is in the cross of Calvary we thank you for this in Jesus' name